You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. I was defending Steve Clifford. <laughs> Steve Clifford, I think he did a great job. You sound just like that guy. It's Wes. He's going to uh, ask you to come and do press conferences for him just behind a black curtain so he doesn't have to do it. And Walker. I like Clifford, the, the big red dog. It was my favorite childhood <laughs> book. Getting in shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> I like dogs in general. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. That was- is a good book. One o'clock hour on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Hope to have Mike Golick Jr. join us in just a moment. Has a new show. It's called Gojo and Golick. Doing it with his dad on DraftKings. You can catch him live on YouTube in the morning. So it should be a lot of fun to talk with Mike Golick Jr. And he also retweeted a story you wanted to talk about in the campus corner, Wes. General Booty. He's got an interesting product that he's advertising there right now. Wes, uh, are you going to be trying the new underwear line? Yes, I'm not kidding, folks. General Booty, the Oklahoma QB for an NIL situation, has new underwear that he's advertising right now. Wes, I just want to know if you're going to buy General Booty underwear. I just might, man. I'm an advertiser's dream. Uh, When I see stuff that I think is pretty cool that has a good endorser, then uh, I'm more than likely to try it. And for the old heads out there, his father and uncles all play major college football, and some of you might remember it. His dad is Abram Booty, who was a wide receiver at LSU, and his uncle was John David Booty, who was a quarterback at USC, and his other uncle, Josh, was a quarterback at LSU, but then played uh, Major League Baseball. So uh, when I saw the name at first, it it didn't register, but then once I saw his lineage, I said, oh, I remember the booties. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that single ass talking. I remember the booties. (laughs) Not anymore. What was funny is when we were talking about this before the show, you were discussing uh, John David Booty, and then it just all kind of, you know, came out naturally. We were saying, man, yeah, I remember the booties. Yeah, man. You said that twice. I remember the book. And it doesn't get any less funny. It's funny every single time you say it. We're trying to figure out what would be a great name for General Sun. Because I thought about Major, but Major probably wouldn't be good. You, you would have to be a baller. Because Big time. <laughs> you can't. Because people would automatically insult you with your own name. They yeah. say, man, you are Major Booty. You really are living up to your name today. General Booty is okay, but if he names his son Major, then we have a real problem. Yes. Like, you have to be the best at the sport, or else everybody's just going to point to your birth certificate and say, this is what you are on the field right. as well. All right, let's go to the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Mike Golick Jr. joins us. He's on Twitter, at Mike Golick Jr., and he has a new show you should absolutely check out. Gojo and Golick on DraftKings. You can catch him live on YouTube in the morning. Mike, how's the new show going? So far, so good. Three days in, we haven't killed each other again, so that's a big win for everybody involved. (laughs) Well, that's what I wanted to ask about as well. Like, you've hosted shows with your dad before, but now you two have something you can call your own. When you were making your way in the industry, was it a dream to just work in sports media at a high level, or was the ultimate dream actually working with your dad on a show at a high level? I think that was one of those things we didn't realize would be an opportunity when it got to be one. Like, you know, I think, like a lot of people, I was appreciative of you know just the entry point into sports media, and one I had largely because of my dad. And I just wanted to work in whatever capacity to stay there, you know, make sure I'm an 
undrafted free agent at heart always the way I was in football. So my goal was to make sure my badge worked every day and make sure I did enough to have the company view me that way too. And then somewhere along the way, Dad and I got to call a college football game together, and we're like, oh, this is pretty cool, the chance to actually do something like this while we're both still at it. And then the morning show happened my last few years at ESPN, and we really got a taste for how cool it was to be able to do that day-to-day, how much we both enjoyed it. So when the opportunity popped up again here at DraftKings, it was something we already knew we liked, we already knew how to do, and now I had a partner that was you know, going to let us do that again, so we will both jump at the opportunity. Well, right, like you both have been doing some form of sports media for a while now, obviously your dad having done it forever with the legendary Mike and Mike. Do you feel you or your dad are any different with each other when hosting uh, compared to others that you're hosting with? Like there's a very close relationship that others can't replicate because it's father and son. Uh, that can change the dynamic in so many ways that might not be so easy to tell from a consumer standpoint. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you you know, there are very few boundaries. And I think for everyone, you know, when you get started hosting with someone, I mean, hell, even look at Tag Greeny. They hosted together for 18 years. They had a level of chemistry. They had, you know, the things that made that show successful. But it still can't replicate, you know, being raised by someone. I mean, the guy saw my first steps. He, I think, gave me my first sip of beer at some point. You know, all the, the little things along the way that are not only reference points there, but also you you know everyone's strengths and weaknesses. You know where they're going to go. You know how to set them up in a right way that nobody else can do. That you know We're all trying to replicate with hosts we work with the industry, and I've worked with tons of talented people, plenty of close friends of mine, but it's just really hard to get to that level that you have when it's father and son or relatives in general. And then, Mike, when you talk about working with your dad, I have a son that likes to do content as well. Does he ever pull rank on you, like if you want to do something that he doesn't, and then he gets on the dad tone with you? Oh, all the time. It's He's such a diva now. It's unbelievable. He went from, you know, my dad's the son of a bricklayer. My grandpa was a bricklayer in Willowick, Ohio, and my dad and his brothers grew up in Northeast Ohio, and all that stuff, you know, these hard-working blue-collar guys. 20 years in the media, oh, he was complaining about, oh, his name wasn't on the show at first. Now he's complaining his name's not first in the show. And if we're going to talk about something, he's, oh, yeah, he's he's a full-blown diva now. Don't let him tell you any different or put on this hard-working Midwestern hat right now. He loves to pull rank and throw his almost three decades of media experience in my face whenever he gets the chance. All right, Mike, so I have to ask you, I, I did watch the game Saturday, and I saw you online gushing over Sam Hartman. Did you make the trip to Ireland? How excited were you about the way they play? Because you know I'm a Wake Forest uh, football alum, and so definitely are well-versed in everything Sam Hartman, but I saw you gushing over him, so just wanted to get your take on everything, and what, what do you think about them so far? It was really encouraging, and you mentioned you know Sam really well. I got to cover Sam a few times at Wake Forest, and you're getting ready for the games, and you're going back, and you're reading about him, you're watching tape about him. You get to see him live, and all these things pop about his game, right? He's a guy who can make a ton of throws, was used to making them in high-pressure situations in that slow mesh, and has played a ton of college football, left the ACC as the all-time leader in touchdown passes, all the things that we do. But it was still walking into a situation that was different than what he'd experienced for the last five years. It wasn't even the same coordinator that he technically committed to play for, Tommy Reese leaving for Alabama, Jared Parker taking over, coming as the tight ends coach at Notre Dame last year, and working with a young receiver core. There's just a lot of variables around him that I wasn't going to be sure how seamless the integration would be right away. But I think you saw the benefit of Sam's leadership twofold. One was, hey, the guy with the enough experience to – 
see things happening at full speed and have the game look slow, right? Pressure situations, Navy zero blitzing him. He knows exactly where his eyes need to be. He gets himself out of trouble. He makes big plays for the team. But as much as anything, and you know this too, having a great quarterback or a great player really at any position where you know he's not only going to take care of his job, but he's going to make everybody else's job around him so much easier. It lets everyone else play with a comfort and freedom that is hard to really quantify, but you know it when you see it. And for me, it was seeing how clean the execution was for the Notre Dame offense, not seeing guys turned loose, seeing play calls in the right spots, having so much available to you to call as a play caller because you've got a veteran quarterback who could do so much. I thought that was what really stood out was how clean a game it was for Notre Dame and how much of that you can draw a line back to Sam Hartman because of. Mike Golick Jr. joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Has a new show with his dad, Gojo and Golick. You can check it out on DraftKings. Mike, I wanted to get your impressions on Bryce Young and what the Panthers have done in the preseason so far. It's been really impressive to watch uh, Bryce. And I think heartening to watch a lot of this rookie class quarterback, specifically the first rounders, because it makes you not feel crazy as a college football fan and watcher, right? This is the exact Bryce Young that I saw at Alabama, right? Incredible, high-functioning NFL accuracy is going to put the ball in the places that not only allow for completions, but give his receivers the best opportunity to do something with it after. Understanding, yes, he's never been the biggest guy, and so doing a good job buying time in the pocket, maneuvering well in there, being able to get around and find windows around his offensive line. As many people pointed out in the pre-draft process, including him, he's been this size for a long time. He's played with other bigger bodies for a long time. And so that's not a lot new for him. And I think you saw a lot of the things that made him the number one overall pick in the draft, despite some of the concerns about where he lies in the measurables. Mike, so also, too, when we talk about the preseason for Bryce Young and how he's looked, and we were both offensive linemen, so uh, have you been privy to the way that the line played, and does that worry you about what type of rookie season Bryce could have if this offensive line underwhelms? Man, yeah, that was quietly, and and, you you looked around with each of these quarterbacks and their situations, and I remember when the draft happened, and I saw specifically for the top three guys, right, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and Anthony Richardson, I said, all right, the Colts offensive line was sort of Jekyll and Hyde in the last couple of years, but it's got the same personnel that were one of the best units in, in football in 2021, so he might be a little bit safer than normal. C.J. Stroud, hey, Laramie Tunsil just signed another one of those market-setting deals. You've got one of the best tackles in football and a pretty solid group in front of him. He'll be decently well-protected. And Bryce Young, they're bringing back all five starters off a group that by the end of last season in Carolina, especially in the ground game, started to look like one of the strengths of the team. And then you get to the preseason, and we see a bit of regression. Now, more early than late, Ike Aquano, I think, started to look better overall towards the end of the preseason. But there was a lot more pressure on Bryce Young than I anticipated, knowing the parts that make up that group. I'm still hopeful that when it gets to the regular season, we'll have enough time and enough familiarity now with that group getting ready and used to playing with a different quarterback under center, right? A guy who is going to move around and do things the way that Bryce does that we'll get better results out of that. But I definitely was a little more concerned than I was walking into the preseason after seeing the performance of that group. 
Mike Golick Jr. with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Golick Jr. And Mike, I have to say, too, another thing of Lyman is that we love to eat. And I saw you guys' uh, fast food power rankings. And your dad's looked a lot more well-traveled because he had more places on there I'd never heard of. But I have to say, I'm going to give you the nod. Taco Bell would be in my top five, not necessarily number one, but you hit on the keys for me. The Wendy's, the Five Guys, the McDonald's, Chick Fil A. I mean, I, I oh, couldn't Taco argue Bell's with one, the other one. That's so I know good. that's one for you for yeah, sure. But absolutely, I had to give you a salute on that, man. I I, I give you the nod for the win there. <laughs> I appreciate it. And you know what? Yeah, Dad, Dad's had money for a little bit too long, and so he goes to places <laughs> that are around him, and a little bit more on the bougie side. I, I wanted to hit the places that you could get anywhere. You can walk into pretty much any city, and you're going to be able to find those, and they're going to be that beacon in the night and. Taco Bell at number one. Yeah, I'm with you. It's I think a consensus top five. It's just tied to so many very blurry memories for me. Taco <laughs> Bell and that beautiful purple sign at like two in the morning had been my saving grace for a lot of my early 20s. And it had been something that me and a lot of my friends, it just, we always found our way home to that saving light of the Baja Blast or a grilled stuffed beef burrito or the Crunchwrap Supreme. You just have so many <laughs> unique menu items, and it's always the same consistency, which for some people might not be great, but for me, works out perfectly. Oh, yeah. I mean, bring back the cheesy double beef. Those are the glory days, especially with the old school logo of Taco Bell. My biggest problem is, Mike, I don't know if you have this problem. It took me about eight years to not panic order because they always have different options. I never know what I'm going to get. You can always keep it under 10 bucks and get a ton of burritos and tacos and all that stuff. But I still feel like every once in a while I revert back to panic ordering. Yeah, no, and you know, when in doubt, it's, it's good to kind of have a foundation that you can go to when it's the panic order because there are things I'm always going to get, right? There's always going to be a couple of Crunchwrap Supremes in there. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be the quesadillas in there, which I think the queso they use in that is something fierce. It's got a little bit of kick to it there. It's sort of like I would explain the difference between like a Duke's mayonnaise and any other brand of mayonnaise. Is it's got that little extra twang. I'm not being paid by Duke's. I just genuinely believe it's the, it's the superior mayonnaise. And so it's got that little extra twang to it like they advertise. I think the Taco Bell queso in the um, quesadillas has a little extra twang to it and thus makes it one of those things that no matter who I'm with, our group especially, because like you said, you can order Taco Bell for an army of 30 people and it's still not going to crack $100. And you always get a couple of quesadillas. No one's ever mad at that. No, it's a great Taco it's Bell take. Too. It's got a little spice. No, 100%. It's got the kick that he was talking about. Final one. Uh, I did want to ask you this real quickly before we got you out of here, Mike. We've seen you test certain products before. I remember the man Spanx you sported and revealed it all to the Twitterverse. We now have an underwear line. Launched by, yes, Oklahoma QB General Booty. My question is, are you going to rock General Booty underwear and give a report for the people to digest? I feel like it's sort of my responsibility now, yeah, right? It feels in the like day and age of name, image, and likeness, and all of the different entry points to the market we've got for athletes now, I am not going to try and stand in the way of making them money. But at the same time, if we're going to be consumers and spend money on this stuff, as someone who now gets to travel, you know, travel the country, calling college football games on radio with Learfield, I feel like I've got the unique opportunity to be boots on the ground and make sure I let people know if they're getting a quality product or if we need to hold out for the next iteration of the booty bloodline here to see if they've reimagined the technology going into the pants by the time his son major gets to college or booty on the ground. If you will, maybe that's, yes. maybe that's a hashtag you want to roll <laughs> with Mike Golick jr. On Twitter, 
Find him in the general booty underwear on Twitter at Mike Golick Jr. He has a new show. Check it out. Gojo and Golick. It's on DraftKings. You can catch him live as well on YouTube. Just had a live broadcast at 8 a.m. It's still in its infant stage. Only three shows. So make sure you go check it out before it gets big and you get to be the hippie that says you were on him way before everybody else was. Mike, we appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate you having me. Always fun to talk with Mike Golick Jr. Love the Taco Bell takes. Love the food takes in general. Ice cream. I feel like that's my spirit animal on Twitter because he shares a lot of the same tastes that I do when it comes to food. And I'm glad you brought that up, Wes, so we could all talk a little more fast food. Yeah, man. It was really good, uh, the the list that they were able to uh, put together. As I said, his dad's was a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, well-traveled. So you could tell <laughs> that. Uh, a little more bougie? Yeah, and I mean, it's just money? places that you know we can't get to around here. I mean, when you look at... The list, Mike Golick, he had Junior had Taco Bell, Wendy's, Five Guys, Chick-fil-A, McDonald's. Dad had Raising Cane's, In-N-Out, Five Guys. He had Portillo's, which I've never heard Chicago, of. Chicago, it's great. Yeah. And then Sourdough World. All right. So it is a little bit uh, more well-traveled. Yeah. We can uh, also talk a little more about his offensive line and Bryce Young takes a little bit later on in the show. It's Team Week. Let's talk North Carolina. Coming up next, Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. the sound you've waited months to hear. It's caused some of your greatest triumphs. Howard leads. He has it. Touchdown, Carolina. And your biggest heartbreaks. 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. It's the option at Georgia Tech. It's Howard's Rock. The smoke in Miami. Down, leaps for the end zone, and he got it! And every Saturday, you tap that sign. The wait is over. College football is here. Bells are ringing, folks, and we are that much closer to North Carolina and South Carolina getting it on at the bank on Saturday. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ Team Week continues. We continue to break down the North Carolina Tar Heels and the South Carolina Gamecocks, but we are going to kick things off today talking about the North Carolina defense, a unit that needs a lot of work to say the least. They have seven defensive starters that are returning headline by linebacker duo Cedric Gray and Power Eccles out of Chambers High School. Had to throw that out there. But this unit, when you talk about 2022 ACC ranks, they were last in total defense and scoring defense, giving up almost 450 yards per game and around 31 points per game. Last in rushing defense, last in pass efficiency defense, last in pass defense, second to last in interceptions, second to last in fumble recoveries, 
They were 12th and third down <laughs> defense. I mean, the superlatives are definitely not present. Was here. that unit good last year, Wes? Not at all. Okay. Last sure. in sacks in the ACC, first downs as well, ninth in red zone defense. So you get it, folks. This defense needs a definite overhaul. When they talk to big time all AC linebacker, all ACC linebacker Cedric Gray, he said, quote, last year we just knew what to do. We didn't know why we were doing it or how we were going to do it. He said, I think that's very important to know those things because it gives you a better understanding of what you're trying to do, what to expect, and how to accomplish it. That's what he said to the Tar Heel Times. When you look at the personnel that they have returning, we talked about the returning starters and talking about Cedric Gray and Power Eccles who combined for 248 tackles between them, 17 tackles for loss on the season. On the inside, Kamian Rucker is the dog for them on the defensive front seven as well. The defensive line, to be more specific, he had seven tackles for loss and three and a half sacks. And they are led by Gene Chizik, the defensive coordinator. He returned to North Carolina for his second stint on January 8th of 2022 after spending uh, some time away. But in the two seasons, in his first stint at North Carolina, 2015 to 2016, he turned around a unit that ranked number 120 in yards per game that season. And they were the most improved Power 5 defense in 2015, averaging 14 and a half points fewer per game than they had given up the previous season. So they're hoping to replicate that and get this defense on track to help out Drake May and his Heisman campaign, the more they can get him the ball back, the more points he can put on the board. This is a team that went to the ACC championship last year, ranking last in all of the ACC defensive categories. And by the way, even as, even if it's a little crazy to say, you mentioning all of the last place finishes that they had in the ACC last year probably doesn't do it justice because it's not like they were good even when you just go to all of the college football ranks out there. If you go back to what they did last season, they were 128th, 116th. They were the 116th worst program out of 131 football subdivision teams, allowing 437 yards per game. So when you're talking about even within the ACC, it doesn't even do them justice in a bad way where they were towards the bottom in all of college football. So here's the question. They get to the ACC championship game last year with a high potent offense, despite not even loving some of the stuff we saw from Phil Longo and they want to run the football more and they think that might be able to help their defense. So is this a case where you're asking them to not be last place in every one of these categories? Can they still be below average and that be good enough? Or can this does this defense have to be average? Do they just have to stop every once in a while? Okay, can they be in the middle in the ACC? Can they be in the middle in all of college football? And could that be enough to allow Carolina a shot at winning the ACC championship or just, yeah, getting to second place again like they did last year before they got beat down by Clemson? That's my question. What do you think, Wes? Do they have to get to at least an average level on that side of the ball before you can truly compete for an ACC championship? Yeah, I think so, especially with the fact that they're not in the Coastal anymore. There are no 
no more division. So now it's going to be the top two teams in the league. So that's going to make it that much harder. You're going to have to be that much better because we know that uh, for a long time, the Atlantic with Florida State and Clemson, they were pretty much the the class of the ACC uh, for a while. So now for North Carolina, you know, having to get through the Pitts and the Dukes and some of those teams, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for them. This defense is going to have to be uh, average, at least in my estimation. And definitely you're going to have to start with uh, sacks and turnovers. I mean, this defense last season, you look at them as a unit, only 17 sacks on the season for this defense. That is not going to get the job done. You only forced five fumbles and nine – or five fumbles that you recovered and nine interceptions on the season. That number's got to change as well because we know that if you have a quarterback to the caliber of a Drake May, you want to get him as many possessions in a football game as you possibly can. And so they've had guys that leave through, uh, that have left through attrition. When you go look at the secondary, which was last in the ACC and pass defense, uh, they've got some guys coming in there. Elijah Hudsey from East Tennessee State had 120 or 179 tackles, 12 interceptions, and 30 pass breakups in four seasons at East Tennessee State. So he's ex- he is expected to come in and provide a presence. Armani Chapman from Virginia Tech is another veteran that's going to rotate with guys like Marcus Allen, and uh, that safety group should be stronger as well with uh, Antavis Lane. Stick, they like to call him. That's going to be one of the great nicknames in college football. 223 tackles he had with 11 interceptions in three seasons as well. Those are stats that you cannot sneeze at too. So they've gotten some reinforcements in the secondary, perhaps some addition by subtraction because you lose uh, guys like Storm Duck. And uh, Tony, uh, what was his name, Fitty? Grimes. Tony Grimes. Grimes. Yes, yes. Tony Grimes is gone as well. So we'll see if this overhauled secondary can make plays. But it's got to start up front uh, with the pass rush. Fitty, what do you – I was going to ask Fitty real quick. What did he see uh, in this defense and how improved do you think they'll be this season? The the, the problem, I think, with Carolina's defense is that – you, there's only two players on the unit that you love, and they're they're your two linebackers and Power Eccles and Cedric Gray, arguably maybe the second best linebacking duo in the conference behind Clemson's. You could argue maybe NC State's is a tad better, but and the problem is is that they cover up a lot of mistakes, but they can't cover up everything. This defensive line has been non-existent for almost a decade. I mean, you're talking about pass rushing numbers that like group of five schools are surpassing. The secondary, the inability to cover and make plays on the ball. That was a problem when Gene Chizik was here the first time. And so, you know, I think Cayman Rucker, he's moving to that jack spot on the defense. That's going to be a much more natural fit. Javari Ritzy's listed second on the depth chart behind Miles Murphy, who was nowhere near as good as a Miles Murphy at Clemson. I think he's poised for a type of breakout type of season because if they don't improve up front, I don't see how this defense takes a step forward. All right, so if we try to balance the scales, right? I asked how good this defense has to be because they won nine games. They faltered in the last month of the season, but they were still a good football team by any measure. Not fantastic, but still a good football team that got to the ACC championship with what was a horrendous defense. So if the defense gets a little better, you do expect the offense to take a little bit of a step back, I would imagine. Because you don't have Josh Downs. We'll see how good the offensive line is this year. If they improve, maybe that loss is mitigated. But the defense does have to get to some kind of average play. You look at their schedule, 
And I'm looking at the quarterbacks that they have to go up against because they didn't get after the passer at all last year. They were last in sacks. They were among the worst teams in all of college football. Again, not just the ACC. So you have Spencer Rattler in the season opener. Fascinating QB to be going against week one because this is someone that only stepped up really in the big time matchups they had at the end of the season, but it took a long time for him to get cooking. You had the game against Arkansas at the beginning, big old break between productive outings, and then you get to Clemson, then you get to Tennessee. Does North Carolina allow him to pick up where he left off last season? Or does Spencer show us that he was actually a little bit more of the quarterback that we saw in the middle portion of the year? You go against App State, they're transferring. They've got new QBs over there. You're talking about Minnesota. I don't know about their quarterback situation, but I haven't heard a lot of great things. So we'll see. I'm still going to give the advantage to some of the other schools that they're going to face. Garrett Schrader, Syracuse, Van Dyke in the middle of the season for Miami. You're really going bang, bang, bang at the end of the season with Riley Leonard. Duke, the third to last game of the year. Cade Klubnick, who I expect to be a good QB this year, on the road. And then you have NC State on the road. Brennan Armstrong, a full season under his belt with Robert and I the second time around. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's what I'm interested in. Does it take a long time for North Carolina's defense to get back on track? Do they ever figure it out? One, and if they do, I do think there is a benefit there that they face some of the better quarterbacks, especially consecutively at the very end of the season. So they do have some time, a little, not a lot, but they do have some time to try to figure this thing out. Eric McLean of the ACC Network was on the Kyle Bailey show on Monday. Let's hear his take on what the UNC defense needs to do to be successful in 2023. Biggest adjustment I need to see um, if you really want to pinpoint it into this defense that was the worst in the ACC statistically. They've got to get after the quarterback. They have to get tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Tackles for loss and sacks have to improve for this defense. Yeah, and so I start with when we talk about an X factor for this defense that I think could really help take them to the next level, it's Desmond Evans. I mean, I know UNC fans have been waiting on this guy for so long, so much potential he's had. He came out of high school, out of Lee County High School. Five-star prospect, state's number one player, the nation's top-ranked defensive end, and the nation's second-ranked player overall, according to ESPN. And he was in the ESPN 300, but they just haven't seen the production from him yet. A tackle for loss and 25 tackles is what he registered last season. He's got the size dimension, 6'6 and almost uh, a half, 275. This is a guy that a lot of people thought could be the second coming of some of those great defensive linemen that they've had at North Carolina. So if he can have a breakout season and finally get on the map and make some plays, I think that would be huge for for them because obviously we've talked about the fact that the pass rush is not there and it's definitely got to start up front with those defensive ends. And Desmond Evans is a great candidate for a player who could really help make them a better unit. Yeah, to put a bow on this, I don't think anybody disagrees. It starts up front. It starts with your defensive line, if this is going to be better. We've talked about the secondary. It's been a little lackluster. I think a lot of those issues get cleaned up with a better pass rush. It's hard to play in a defensive backfield that has absolutely zero pass rush. So even if you think guys like Grimes or Storm Duck underperform based off the talent you expected them to come in with, man, you can put some really good cornerbacks in a secondary that allows what? the quarterback to get like five seconds to throw every time it's going to be tough to stick with the wide receiver for that entire time if you get more pressure on the quarterback it's going to help a lot and the real question is this defense is going to be better it just can't be as bad as it was last year it was so bad 
barring injuries, with that linebacker duo that is going to only get a year better, I trust that linebacker duo to still be a very good tandem. I know that this defense is going to get better. The question is, do they get so much better to where maybe they can take a step back on offense and still compete for the ACC championship? That I'm not as sure about. Uh, yeah, well, I'm glad that you're optimistic about this unit because I don't see them being terribly better than they were. They may improve just a little bit, but I would be very surprised if they but are Lance, they could be second to last better. in all these categories and be better. That's the point, This is the point, right? That's a like, good caveat. Yeah, no, like they, they, this is my point. It all goes to the, they can't be any worse because they were literally the worst in so many different categories. That's why I feel so confident that they're going to be better. But that's the question. Are they going to get to a point where they're so much better that they can have a little bit more margin for error in other areas? Because they didn't. They didn't have any margin for error last year. Because if they could get to middle of the pack, I mean, that would be a tremendous, tremendous improvement. But uh, let's get to the second Fitty Flash of the day. Fitty, let's hit it. Fitty. Locally, we're all getting excited for North Carolina, South Carolina on Saturday night at Bank of America Stadium. But nationally, the game of interest to kick off the weekend is number five LSU going up against number eight Florida State. And for the third straight year, the Tigers will be without talented running back John Emery, who will not be available to play this weekend. This is the third straight season opener he has missed for LSU. The past two were due to academic reasons. This reason hasn't necessarily been specified by uh, Brian Kelly. Luckily for the Tigers, they've got talented running backs, uh, Josh Williams and Noah Kane in that backfield. But this could be a, a, a big, I don't know, Wes, if it's too far to say this might swing the tide Florida State's way. But this this is a talented guy that LSU will be without again. And he wasn't on the field last year when FSU upset them to begin the year. Yeah, and I mean... LSU has so many special teams miscues in that last game that hurt them as well. Jaden Daniels is back a year better. Brian Kelly's a year better with this crew. Uh, I don't think it will hurt them too bad. Definitely it's a player that they'll want, but uh, I think LSU is going to be the real deal. I think it makes it more interesting. I know because you, I guess, anticipated this return for the season opener and any talent that is lost in this game where Florida State, despite what you might feel about them, this is a very talent and very talented group that you're bringing to this squad. So I'm look, I'm excited about this game. That's going to be such a fun one to watch once we kick off the college football season. No doubt about it. Well, when we come back on the Wesson Walker show, the Hornets brought back P.J. Washington. What do we think about it? That and more on Sports Radio 92.7. WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba.
Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Have a few updates for you as far as the practice squad goes. Carolina Panthers been hard at work adding guys back to the practice squad, even if you were cut. Offensive lineman Deontay Brown, the 2021 draft pick, and J.D. Dorenzo both are joining the Panthers practice squad. Frank Reich did say a lot of the guys cut yesterday would be back today on the squad, so expect a bunch more. Those words coming in from Joe Person. You can follow him on Twitter, at Joseph Person. So I guess they didn't completely cleanse the Matt Rule era if somebody like Deontay Brown is coming back. Do we still consider this a cleansing or maybe just like, uh, I'll wipe the counter, but we're not doing the spring cleaning type thing. If Deontay's back on the practice squad. Ugh, I mean, that's interesting. If Deontay, Deontay Foreman, you talking about? No, I'm Deontay sorry. Brown. I'm way off. Nah, I know you are. It's okay. <laughs> ben, why'd you go to me? If you know well, I went to everybody. I kept trying to prolong the convo. Well, no. Never mind. I'll bring it back. Let's go. Sorry, I kicked it to my co-host. Run it back. Sorry, I kicked it to my producer. (laughs) Either way, Eric Rowe, Stanley Thomas Oliver, they're back on the practice squad. All right. Raekwon Williams, Jordan Thomas, Taylor Stallworth, they're on the practice squad. Spencer Brown, also coming back, something we expected. Justin McCray, also back on the squad. Not done with the updates. Joe Person also said that LaVisca Chenault cleared. Fully cleared concussion protocol. Okay, that's good. And uh, you have another offensive tackle joining the squad and David Sharp from the Baltimore Ravens. So just to give you a few updates on what the Carolina Panthers are doing. I think it's fair to say that the ruling has come down on the Matt Rule guys. That they're just not good enough to be on the 53-man roster. <laughs> but you can still have them part of the consciousness. Yes, it was a rhetorical question for the most part, but I thought you guys might just laugh or whatever. And let's hope this David Sharp guy is a sharp addition to an offensive line. He's out of control. Right. Right. He's out of control. He's yeah, out of the control. air grow was interesting, though, because that was a guy, like I said, once they waved him, now they're bringing him back after they had uh, made a deal for him uh, and brought him in or whatnot. So uh, that's interesting. And so we know some of the guys that get cut, they'll be popping back up in the building. All right. So those are some of the guys back in the building for the Carolina Panthers. It's been a while. We have not been able to talk about him except for once in a fitty flash. But PJ Washington is back in the building. He's back with the Charlotte Hornets. We got some contract details. So initially reported over the weekend that the restricted free agency saga was over for PJ. He agreed to a three-year, $48 million contract with the Charlotte Hornets, and there were unlikely incentives involved. We did not know what those were. Now we do. The incentive structure, according to Bobby Marks on Twitter, is that he'll get $500,000 per season if he appears in 74 or more games and plays at least 2,400 minutes. The bonuses are considered unlikely for cap purposes, which means it does not count against the cap because Washington played 73 games last year and 2,380 minutes last season. So the first year salary, by the way, it starts at 16.8 million this season and it's a descending contract. So it goes down 15 and a half million the next year. And then two years from now, it goes to 14.2. So here we are talking about PJ who reportedly was asking at the highest point for $20 million per season. Market was weird this year. You see PJ not be offered any contract by another franchise. Grant Williams was another one that was kind of in that mold. The Dallas Mavericks decided to go with the ML just a little bit above the mid-level exception. And they give Grant Williams like $13 million per season, something like that. Just a little bit more. The 12 allotted in the MLE. 
And so here we are with PJ waiting, waiting, and waiting until we get to late August before finally he comes aboard back with the Charlotte Hornets. And I think the contract is very good. I think at perfect value, like what I think actually PJ is worth right here, right now in today's NBA, I'd go somewhere between 17 and 18. I would. And I think especially with the salary cap increasing a significant amount two to three years from now, when the new TV deal comes in, these contracts are going to be so, so much smaller than what they seem like right now. But Wes, this is descending. So this is declining in value every single year. You account for LaMelo Ball's $200 million contract hitting next season. So that only gives you a little bit more wiggle room. And these are unlikely incentives for a guy that played more minutes because they were injuries. But clearly, Steve Clifford values a ton. He'll tell you all about how much he values P.J. if you listen to him. I still don't think he's going to hit 74 games because any injury whatsoever might make you miss eight. 2,400 minutes, like it's going to be tough to reach that, especially with guys coming back. I think this contract is fantastic for the Hornets. Even if you didn't think P.J. Washington was as good as I did, there are a few. I still think this contract is very good for someone to come in and be a very significant role player. Yeah, and I think the price is is pretty good because he had nine games last season with 25 points after having five uh, such games in his first three NBA seasons. So that tells me, you know, this is a guy that's continuing to get play it, to get better. He was one of five players to record at least 50 steals, 75 blocks, and 103 pointers last season as well. So this is a young player on the rise for sure. It's just for me, as we've talked about before, just the pecking order. How is everything going to go as far as is how do you view each of your uh, players that you like as far as especially in your starting five giving P.J. Washington? This is a nice contract. I mean, when we talk about certain NBA players and some of the money they make and how high it can get, uh, this is a, a pretty good value for them, though, I will say. So P.J. Washington back into the fold now. I think they're getting pretty much set for what they want to do for this season. And uh, the number was a little bit less than I thought it would be, but I think it's good value for Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, I I think P.J. did the, I'll just go ahead and take the guaranteed money now thing instead of signing the qualifying offer at $8.5 playing one more season with the Hornets, hitting unrestricted free agency next season, and then it being open season to the point where maybe he could get $20 million a year on the open market where there's more money and also the free agent class, it opens up a little bit more so for teams to go out there and get somebody that is considered a 3 and D player. The efficiency could go up this season. I expect it to because the volume is going to go down. And if we want to talk about the pecking order, Gordon Hayward's getting paid 30 Terry Rozier is getting paid over 20 LaMelo Ball is a better player than P.J., but his big contract doesn't hit till next season. That's when PJ will move down even further. So a role player, somebody that allows Mark Williams to be his best self, somebody that allows LaMelo ball to be his best self because LaMelo needs help getting to the rim. PJ stretches the floor. If you're going to give $200 million to LaMelo, and if you're going to use Mark Williams as finally the center that you've always wanted here, PJ allows your foundation pieces to be them best, their best selves. Give him $15 million a year, and they waited it out, and they got their way. And the Charlotte Hornets, while I thought it took a while, I was worried about the people part of the business here. They get a very nice contract with somebody that can play a significant role, three-point shooting and defense, 
And now with Miles Bridges coming back, you can allow him to focus on some of the little things that you need from your role players while the scoring goes to LaMelo, while it goes to Miles, while it goes to Gordon when he's healthy, while it goes to Terry if he doesn't get traded. PJ is your fifth option scoring now, and you can allow him to worry about the other things that help you win that the other guys don't take care of. Love this contract. Glad that we're all said and done with the PJ free agency saga because it was a long one. And I think he saw it too as an opportunity with everybody back into the fold. As you said, the numbers are going to take a hit. And I think he knew that, hey, I'm going to take this $48 million now because the numbers are going to take a hit. Who knows what the perception is going to be the next time I'm able to come up for a contract. And teams may not uh, value him the same to pay him as much when the numbers do go down. That'll do it for your Charlotte Hornets conversation. Very quick, <laughs> to the point. I didn't want to bore anybody with it, but it was a big story. Been waiting for a long time. Let's go back to the college football combo. Andrea Adelson of ESPN. She joins us to discuss maybe what to expect from the ACC upcoming season and also all of the realignment conversation that we've been going through the last month or so. It's Andrea Adelson up next on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.